So I think Year of Hell 2 is a pretty good second part of a two-parter. It was, you know, it followed the next generation pattern of not being as good as the first part of it. Um, Again, I still find myself wishing that we'd had the four or five episode arc of this. Um, I, even knowing that time shenanigans were going to undo everything, I guess that's what bothered me the most about it, that the episode ends with no lessons learned and, you know, this might as well not have happened. But that's right. I but that's I guess a necessary evil with time travel episodes. And it is certainly the case that I think like, you know, I mean, I, I was thinking about this this week that, that we generally um I think we, we, we compare or talk about previous Star Treks a little bit more when we talk about Star Trek Voyager than than we did with any of the other previous series. And I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that this is the fourth or fifth Star yeah. Trek show, depending on how you count and you know, a lot yeah. of this we've seen before. There's a lot of other examples of this done better. And it's just difficult to discuss Star Trek Voyager without talking about it in relation to, to what Star Treks have come before. Well, I'm curious if I if we, if I if we did DS9 again, if I would be talking about other Star Treks more, if we did TNG again, maybe I would be. I, I know I I haven't even had the backlog to talk about that until really the past year or so yeah i i certainly think that that's a fair point and i i think that in, to some degree you would because i know that we did talk about tng sometimes when we talked about ds9 for instance so yeah but i'm going to talk about yesterday's enterprise again because you know yesterday's enterprise is like one of the the hallmarks of a great tng episode and it certainly is i mean it's wonderful but you know part of the reason why it, it doesn't feel so uh, siloed off from the rest of the series, I think is for two reasons. Number one is that, of course, uh, Guinan is there to kind of bridge that gap a little bit. And, you know, the end of the episode is, is so evocative when she's sitting with Jordy and 10 forward and she says, you know, tell me about Tasha Yar. And he looks at her with that sort of yeah. like puzzled look for a second. So there, there, that's the like indication that this has bled over into the quote unquote real world a little yeah. bit. And that the, what we just what witnessed was important for other reasons besides just an entertaining hour of television. And, you know, Year of Hell Part 2 doesn't have that. You know, it, it, it yeah. just kind of like gets reset. And what did we really learn? We didn't really learn anything. And the Even one... something like Before and After, which sets up Year of Hell. Yes, most of the crew doesn't know it, but Kess knows that. And that kind of informs her views of what her next you know of the next several episodes that she's in yeah because it doesn't it make you wonder what year of hell would have been like if Cass had still been on the ship yeah i mean yes. she probably would have fulfilled that Guinan role mm-hmm. yeah you know she, she would have remembered it or been you know have gone through that or she's seeing this again happening and you know, on the one hand, you can't have the episode if Kess is still on the ship because she's going to say, listen, we need to get as far away from this space as possible. And, you know, Janeway will listen to her, you know, if she says this, I had, I've seen what goes on in that space. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know. I'm of two minds about it. I think that on the one hand, yes, it is the reset button. And I think that you know, part of the criticisms that a lot of people have with Voyager's reset button is is more to do with the fact that, uh, you know, television was moving beyond that style of storytelling at, yeah. at this point. And it, it does feel a little old fashioned. Let, let's use that term. But I, I still think it's effective. I don't it doesn't bother me. I think that 
if you look at year of if you look at year of hell part two as the second part of a two-parter which satisfactorily concludes what was yeah. set up in the first part and also tells us some interesting things about these characters in very dire circumstances i think you can say it was a success i think that it it did what it set out to do yeah no and i i i I certainly like this is two episodes of television. They were great. Um, you know, again, my, my my concern with it is that nobody learned the moral of the story, which is, you know, on the one hand, kind of cheesy. On the other hand, this is Star Trek and learning morals is kind of what we're all about, um, especially with the way Voyager has been going. Uh, we'll see a little more of this in the next episode, but it is certainly starting to talk about a social problem and all of that. Yeah, certainly, because I, I mean, but on the one hand, I mean, I guess I'll challenge you a little bit, because what would the moral have been? I mean, I don't think that they would have learned anything that they didn't already know, if you know what I mean. No, I know. And it's about, you know, it's about the desire to not change the past. It, it is one of those, uh, what TV tropes will call a space whale Aesop, which is, you know, a moral that doesn't have any connection to real life, you know. You, you you can talk about accepting the past as much as you want, but in real life, we cannot go back and change the past. Uh, so to have a moral based on technology where you can. Um, at the same time, you know, there are certain lessons that they learn about their reliance on each other. Um, I love, for example, the Tuvok and Seven of Nine bond that begins to form, which doesn't happen. Yeah, it is a shame. I mean, I think that that's one of the, the hallmarks of a really... Uh, a good idea that that Joe Minoski had. I mean, I think that, you know, what I said last week still stands. I think that a lot of the really strong character stuff in in this episode is is due to Joe Minoski. And yeah. the Tuvok and and Seven of Nine stuff is is wonderful. I mean, and it makes sense that they would bond, right? Like yeah. Tuvok is a character. I think in general Tuvok is a very underrated character. You know, I I you really damn like straight him. he is. <laughs> no, I, I I know this entire time I've been joking about Tuvok, but and maybe I pay more attention to him because of that. But I was expecting him to be a nothing. Like I was expecting him to be a Harry Kim character based on the you know reactions people had to that, and he's not. He is a very singular character. He is a very strong character. He is a very strong character, and we'll we'll definitely see that when we talk about random thoughts. But what what's so interesting about Tuvok in, in this episode in particular is that you know, a we see his resiliency, right? So he's in a very particular circumstance that everybody else yeah. is in, and you know, Janeway is essentially breaking down, um, and we will talk about Janeway because holy shit. Um, but Tuvok is is bearing it very well. He is a Vulcan, of course. He's going to to bear it very well, even as he is blind, and even as he has to deal with additional challenges that 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 comes you know that that come with that. But he has these conversations with Seven that just make you realize that there that's a very interesting pairing that you might not necessarily have thought would have been interesting, because. What I think works about it is that they are both able to have these very, very deep disagreements, philosophical disagreements, mm -hmm. that are completely devoid of any passion or emotion. And you would say, well, that that's boring. Like, why would that be interesting to watch? But it really is interesting to watch because 
if if both of them are emotionless, then it it becomes a very different exercise than Tuvok arguing with like Neelix, for example, because that that's that's just yeah. boring. I don't find that interesting. Yeah, I mean they have both Seven of Nine and Tuvark are accustomed to subsuming their will to something else. In the case of Seven of Nine, it's the will of the collective. In the case of Tuvok, it is the uh, dictates of logic and. They can, you know, they are in a position where they are, you know, they have a guiding principle that is for them always right. And it's something that can be at odds with itself and that they find, I mean, they find it, I think, kind of fascinating when there's something, you know, just as, you know, Tuvok finds it interesting when something's illogical or when, you know, two bits of logic don't quite match up. And it's kind of a puzzle to make that happen. So you have two very, in a way, objective ways of looking at the world that don't always line up and you know they're not going to get heated about it they're going to find a way to square the circle together i think of the very first scene of the you know the opening of this episode or maybe it's after the cold open i don't remember but they're they're having uh, uh, that sort of like very sad dinner in the mess hall and it's the first time that uh, they've all been together in a few days and you know you really do get the sense that you know we talked a, a bit about last week about how Voyager in the fourth season is is really trying to sell these people as a family and and how that that doesn't necessarily work because we don't know who any of the other people are besides the main cast members. But when it's just them on the ship, I think it sells it much better and it does have a sort of family dinner dynamic. And they're all trying to make the best of it, of course, but... You know, at the end of the day, Seven uh, is kind of a showstopper character because she gets the lines that I think really no one else in the show would get at this point. I mean, the show didn't really have that kind of character in the same way that Spock was that character in the original series or, say, Worf was that character in TNG. Uh, she is kind of serving that role. She's kind of the the punchline or the the punctuation mark of a lot of these scenes. Yeah. You know, uh, that actually makes me realize one of my issue that actually helps to clarify my issue with the first episode ending with we're breaking up the family you know and everybody going off but all of the characters that we care about are still on the ship together you know it's not like as if, and even some well, of them aren't like harry kim yeah you know it would be very different if Bolana went off in one escape pod and janeway in another and tuvok in another and so they are separated from each other um the family unit is still more or less intact with the exception of Chakotay and Paris. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think that's why it works because it, it, it basically jettisons yeah. away all of the elements that are not there. And we go, okay, well, this makes sense to me because these are the only people that we actually know the names of even. I mean, to, to, like, to get down to the very brass tacks of it. Yes. Yeah, no, it makes sense from that perspective. It just doesn't seem to jibe with the tragedy of, again, breaking up the family because the family has not been broken up. And the family Um, never does get back together. I mean, we don't ever really find out what happened to any of them. It doesn't seem like they're in contact with with Voyager. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the episode, everything is reset. So we never get to see them come back. You know, what's interesting is that, assumedly, if... I mean, assumedly, if this had ended without the time, you know, reversing itself, they mention homing beacons at some point. So we assume that, you know, at the end of the episode, they'll start calling them back. Voyager, as it repairs itself, will go on a side quest and pick up their missing crew members and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that um, in, a, in a very real way, you know, if you can say that that 
TNG was an episode of or, or a series of slow accretion where you know character beats and, and emotions kind of build up very slowly over time in a very sort of organic fashion and DS9 did that to a more deliberate degree you know Voyager seems to be the kind of show that does it in, in, in fits and starts and great leaps because I think back to the the opening episode of the second season, the 37s, where th- there's that first, you know, kind of real example of the very real possibility that they could leave the ship and yes. how Janeway actually lets them make that decision for themselves. And I don't think that she would do that now, frankly, but because mm. she's become a very sort of more hard-assed person over the preceding couple of years. Yeah. But, you know, she's in the Which, to be fair, it's been... A bit, to be fair, it's been a hard few years for her. Yes, it has. And we will talk about that in a minute. So she goes to the cargo bay with Chakotay, and, and, and she's very, very moved by the fact that there's no one in there, that, that no one has chosen mm-hmm. to leave the ship. And that works because the show is still very new. We don't necessarily expect to have a, a strong secondary cast because we're still learning the main cast members yeah. and who they are. And, you know, then basically two years goes by and that that emotion is not really activated again until Year of Hell. And, you know, it's fine. I don't really have a problem with it, but it's just an interesting way that the show is is very different from how the previous Star Treks would have handled that sort of thing. Yeah, again, DS9 had, uh, you know... Deep Space Nine gets taken back over uh, by, you know, gets occupied by the Cardassians in the Dominion, and the crew splits, and it's this horrifying, sad moment where, you know, again, it really does feel like the family is broken up together. And when you realize these people are staying together out of, you know, out of their strong bond for each other, again, we feel, but we do feel that with the main cast at this point. They have earned that even seven of nine has begun to form bonds with these people yeah no absolutely and i i think that's a large part of the reason why i think at this point really you know the show is experimenting with putting seven of nine with different cast members and seeing yeah who she clicks with and who she has chemistry with and you know certainly to some degree i don't think that harry kim and she are going to become an item or have a lot of scenes together because well frankly you know the show for yeah. harry kim exists for a lot of it um <laughs> janeway and seven obviously have you know good chemistry together uh i think balana and seven are okay together seven and tuvok obviously have a lot of chemistry together so there's some interesting pairings there that i think they'll just have to shake out yeah it is i mean it's interesting the degree to which Seven of Nine is revitalizing the show. They're very interested in putting her in different situations with different people. Like, that that seems to be... The writers are excited to do that. Yeah, well, she's the shiny new toy. I mean, not not to be, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean that no, in a bad way, just, yeah. No, it's true. It's, 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 it's a new element that they can work with. Well, leaving that aside, I mean, let, let's talk about... There's two main other things that that we have to deal with in this episode. I think one is Janeway and one is, is Chakotay and, and, and uh, Paris's adventures on, on the time ship. So Janeway is... She's, she's got some problems. And... Yeah. I... I don't know how to react to her because Janeway, as I said last week, is a very difficult character. I don't know how much of this is intentional or not. And I don't know to what degree we're supposed to think she's making the right decisions or not. Uh, And it's weird because, you know, Star Trek Discovery, for instance, gets a lot of attention for 
you know, having crew members make bad decisions and having the captain make bad decisions, really bad decisions. You know, Lorca does yeah. some, some really, really bad shit. But like, I kind of feel like I want to go, Janeway did it first. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Janeway's just not good sometimes. And she makes very questionable decision, decisions. And she she locks into patterns of thought. She locks into uh, 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 patterns of behavior, frankly, that are not very smart. I think what makes it very clear in this episode... Um, there's the part where the doctor is like, I'm going to have to override your command. I'm the doctor. And, you know, Jane was like, well, or how can you stop me? I can turn your computer off. Like, you know, I'm the fucking captain. Like, you know, and then there was also the scene between Chakotay and Tom Paris where, you know, I think it's Chakotay who says, you know, we can either maintain command structure or settle this the old fashioned way. And, you know, they know they're not going to go into a fist fight. Um... Chakotay and Paris are people whose morality is more internally centered, right? Like, they have, you know, their guiding moral principles are within them, and they will not bend them, uh, except in the most, 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 most extreme circumstances, and maybe not even then. For Janeway, the moral center is a little more flexible than that. Um, She is somebody who claims to live by certain principles, but without something external, uh forcing her to play nice uh like she's not lawfully inclined naturally right um i don't know because i i want to agree with you i i I really fundamentally do but and and not to we're not moving on to random thoughts yet but and i think you know where i'm going with this that Janeway is not a character that is consistent, and I don't know if that's intentional or not, because at the end of Random Thoughts, she's having that disagreement with Seven, where Seven is like, why are you doing this by Starfleet principles? It's taking you forever to get home, and if you just went in a straight line and never talked to anybody, you would not do this. And look, your chief engineer and your si- and your uh, tactical officer almost got mm-hmm. lost, and that's not acceptable. And Janeway's like, I think it's acceptable, and we need to respect cultures. And in that entire episode, it's all hinging on the fact that Janeway doesn't want to rescue Balana and she wants to respect the laws of this culture and I, I fundamentally don't think she would and so I, I don't I don't know like I want to agree with you that that's who Janeway is but the show doesn't seem to think she is or either different writers have different ideas about who she is which might be the more accurate interpretation of that yeah, and all, I mean, let's also deal with the fact that Janeway's situation in both episodes is extremely different. In Year of Hell, her ship is hanging on by spit and prayer, and uh, everybody could die. Uh, in Random Thoughts, Bolana's brain will probably not really get scrambled. She will probably go through this procedure, and, you know, they aren't... they. She isn't quite as against the wall in that. But... I don't know. I mean, maybe that even proves my point, the fact that she's inconsistent. Yeah, like, I mean, that that's she... really a, that's really a, that's a, that's like a difference of, of degree, not, that's a difference of kind, not of degree, right? And I, yeah. I, yeah, I just don't, I don't buy it. I don't know. I mean, I think that like, you can square that circle and you can say that Janeway has undiagnosed PTSD or whatever, but at the end of the day, like, I just think on a fundamental level, when push comes to shove, Janeway does not 
respect the doctor, does not believe that the doctor is a person with rights mm. of his own and ex- a right to an existence of his own. Because Janeway would never yeah. have acted that way if the doctor was a flesh and blood person. He, she never no, would have. No, it's true. She would not she have would never. That way. She would never have, you know, threatened to shoot Harry Kim if he were countermanding her. Yeah. If Tom Paris, in his role as medic, said, I think you're medically not capable of doing this, she would not shoot Tom Paris. Right, right. And and, and so I think that that's really what it comes down to for me, is that uh, uh, I don't think that Janeway is as enlightened or as broad-minded as we think of our Star Trek captains. And mm. maybe that's okay. Like, I don't, I don't even know if it's yeah. necessarily a problem. I just think that the show needs to be more consistent with it. Like, if it wants to go down this road of Janeway being a bit reckless and playing things a little close to the vest and playing a little fast and loose with the rules, then fine, but be consistent with it. Because you can't have Janeway you know, directly countermanding the doctor's one area where he can give the captain a direct order. And she's like, eh, whatever, fuck off. Uh, what are you going to do about it? And then the next episode, ever bending over backwards to respect some alien culture's laws. It, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, this is, let's go to In the Pale Moonlight. We, you know, Cisco does something that may be against his character, may not have been something he would have done in a previous season, but we see his entire thought process, his justifications, his explanations, his reasons for doing what he does in that episode, and it is a something that feels fully within his character. Uh, we can't tell if she's doing this if her, there are a lot of times where we can't tell if Janeway is acting out of character or not because we don't really quite know what in the character is. And frankly, there are a lot of times we have to say, you know, and if somebody is acting, quote unquote, out of character a lot and coming out of reasons with that, that is her character, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think on a fundamental level, she's a bit capricious. She's a bit easy to change her mind. And... uh that's about the shape of it. And I think that, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a there's a, there's an interpretation to be made, especially in the events of Year of Hell Part 2, that this is all her fault. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Again, she, this is another, I think we talked about this last week, another time where it could be solved by taking an extra couple months and going around. Yeah, I mean, it just it just seems to me that, that that Janeway is not good in situations that are very stressful and that are in situations that are not, um, you know, comfortable, right? I think that's what it comes down to. Again, I think she is an excellent Alpha Quadrant captain. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I think we also need to talk about uh, the adventures of Tom Paris and Chakotay on uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the Anorak ship, whatever it's called. Uh, because I don't know that there's a, a lot to say, but I, I think that in a lot of ways, Year of Hell Part Two is is Chakotay's episode. I mean, the, this episode spends a lot of time uh, on Anorax's ship. It spends time characterizing Anorax, explaining exactly why he did what he did. You know, it's nothing that I don't think we already sort of figured out. I mean, yeah. you said last week that that colony, someone important to him was on that colony. As it turns out, it was his wife. Um you know, and I don't think that his his motivations are that um, shocking. They're not that complicated. No, they may not even be that interesting. Uh, I don't even know that they necessarily uh, feel that real or authentic. Like I don't know. Like why didn't the crew mutiny if they were going through this for two hundred years? Like at some point, 
they would have gone you know what enough with this like you're you yeah, just gotta yeah, deal yeah, with yeah. the fact that your wife is gone like sorry dude like we're not continuing to do this for you know <laughs> centuries just because you want your wife back um but i think that chakotay understands him very quickly because chakotay yeah. and he are kind of similar in a way yeah and i mean this is it, it, it is a I really like the way Kurt with Smith plays the character because this this character could easily be really cheesy, like especially all of these long speeches he makes about, you know, the part where he's eating the food. And he's like, we are eating the last meals of all of these civilizations. This is the only food, you know, like it could come off so hokey and he's really makes it feel very tragic and ponderous and, you know, very weighty and. I mean, there is this, I don't know, it's a very, he feels very burdened, and I think Chakotay understands these burdens, you know? Yeah. He, you know, the like the bit when with the comet, and he's like, oh, if we just make the comet never exist, you know, that's easy. And, you know, immediately Anorax is like, well, then, you know, how many, 8,000 civilizations would be affected and destroyed by this. Like, um the amount of but again this is where i see chakotay's moral compass coming internally because he immediately you know he 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 comes to understand and accept maybe that there is no change they could make to time that would not affect somebody and that the very idea of changing time may be immoral right right put J- put janeway on anorax's ship there is a number of civilizations that she will find acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And Chakotay is, is a pacifist. We know that. Chakotay is someone who doesn't want to fight. We know that. And the fact that he uh, was put in a situation where he was in the Maquis was, was very strange. And that was due to the fact that he had a relationship with his father and was honoring his father and all of these things. And yeah. I'm finding on this rewatch that I, I really like the character of Chakotay. And I think he's an interesting, an interesting guy. And... This this plot line in Year of Hell Part Two with Chakotay on the ship, desperately trying to convince Anorax that there is a a, a moral way to 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 do this, yeah. is so interesting to me because it gets to the very fundamental heart of what Star Trek is. And you know that might be overstating the case a little bit, but I don't think so because you know Anorax, he's trying to reach Anorax, he's trying to convince him of something. Yeah, and you know Tom Paris is doing his Tom Paris thing. Um, and Tom Paris yeah. is fine, but at the end of the day, this is really about Chakotay and Anorax and their story and their relationship. And the tragedy of it at the very end of it, of course, is that they couldn't figure out a way to do it satisfactorily for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it means a lot that, you know, Paris, the hothead is immediately like, no, we're not going to help you. We wouldn't work with you. Screw you. Yeah. And Chakotay gets a little seduced by the idea and is willing to work with it. Now, partially, uh, it's implied that that's how he's going to get Anorax's trust because it's much better to have him working with you than it would be to have him antagonistic. But, you know, until to Chakotay's satisfaction, he realizes that there is no way to do this and, you know, save everybody. Um he's made his decision again uh, you know the tragedy of anorax is that he has all of the information chakotay finally has 
but he just keeps going past it and keeps thinking, well, there will be a way. I just haven't found it yet. Yeah. Uh, Chicote gets to a point where he realizes, like, okay, I've seen enough. There's no way to do this. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And at the end of the day, of course, I mean, it's 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 not a bad thing because um, Oberst blowing the ship up means that he goes back in time and starts Bright Eyes. So it's not all bad. I love Bright Eyes. All right, well, let's move on to random thoughts. But before we do that, I do want to take an opportunity to remind all of you that this podcast is listener supported. If you would like to give us a little bit of your money each and every month, please do go to patreon.com slash and give now. All right, let's talk about random thoughts, which I think has, which I think is better than it has any right to be, frankly. <laughs> this was a very dumb episode, but I say that affectionately. Like, you know, like it's like a stupid puppy. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a very, <laughs> very dumb Star Trek episode that fundamentally doesn't really make any sense. But I don't know. There's something just really damn charming about it. And again, it's. This has been a very earnest season, and this is a very earnest episode. Yeah, it's completely earnest. I mean, like, there are scenes of Tuvok walking around with Namir, and he's like, I I respect you and your traditions very strongly, and I would <laughs> love to put my Vulcan penis into your mouth. Like, you know, I mean, basically, that's what's happening in that scene, right? And I just, I don't know, like, it's it's dumb, it's stupid, like... There's no real conflict here. And of course, like even the stakes are very low because they're not going to execute Balana. They're not going to actually perform a lobotomy on her. She's just going to get a couple of memories erased. And I know that they say that it's very, very fraught with danger and all of that kind of stuff. But um, the doctor's done this before. Like, come on. Yeah. It's not. Uh, we're watching a television show. They can do what they want. They're not going to lobotomize Bellana. She is not going to become a different person. They're going to get out of this. But I kind of like the twist, actually, a lot. And, you know, if it's making a very, very sort of sophomoric point about the dangers of violent imagery and the danger and then the <laughs> dangers of suppressing things. And, you know, I mean, it's all just kind of like, all right, Star Trek, I get it. But it's good. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is... um. Again, this Voyager is doing a lot that the original series tried to do, where it's taking certain social issues and taking them in the most literal terms possible. And it's cheesy and it's allegorical, but at the same time, these are points that need to be made. I mean, this era was another time in which people were talking a lot about violent imagery. I mean, that's that's a conversation that is always had, right? And that... Yeah. uh tends to go in cycles but i think this was another cycle in which people were talking about violence i mean this was the when the v-chip was happening right yeah yeah it was yeah i mean the v-chip was a big thing uh this was when this was the era when uh television ratings in the, in the united states yeah. was were, were just starting i mean this was a few years after all the stuff about parental advisory warnings on music um this was the same time that the rating system for for um video games really got off the ground. I mean yeah, this was a very um sensory time I guess you could say. And it, it's interesting because this episode is very strongly coming down on the the opposite end of that, the idea of saying, well you, you can't censor things. It it doesn't work. Like that people are always going there are a certain subset of people that are always going to want what they are going to want and by uh, by censoring it, by by making it taboo or, or making it illegal, you're just going to make it all the stronger. And 
Yeah, I mean, if, if 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 you say this is just a TV show and understanding violence in its proper content, I mean that that's the, you know, that's part of the subtext of you know censoring in this way is that assuming that the image itself has a power and that it's real in a way. But if you understand it, the context of it, if you're able to talk about it as a television show, if you're able to put it in its proper imaginative place, um that kind of defangs it a bit in a way that outlawing it doesn't. Yeah, because, I mean, the and it, you know, obviously it puts a sci-fi spin on it by by this being a species yeah. of telepaths. And, you know, I actually think that, that the show, this episode in particular, is, is, is doing an interesting bit of world building here because, you know, that's one thing that I think Star Trek never really handles well is telepaths. And, you know, the fact that, like, the show even remembers that Vulcans are telepaths, for example, is, you know, really, like, congratulations. Yeah. Um, because nobody remembers that, but yeah, it's just the case that like it, it feels like it's very facile and it kind of is, but it's, it's a fine lesson. I mean, I think sometimes like that's kind of the power of Star Trek at its best, I think, is it just, you know, it, it does make these very sort of facile uh, a point sometimes, but I think it does it when it, they need to, I mean, I don't think it's anything that, um, really is a problem necessarily we've said this again this this is something i i i wish that discovery had been this kind of a series as well recognizing that it can do social commentary in this way because i think that you know certainly the original series came at a time when social commentary was very necessary right like when society was very chaotic and lost and kind of the, the, the you know the show took it upon itself to tell stories about what was going on in the world. Um, and this is, again, this Voyager is turning into a series that's interested in telling stories about what's going on in the world. Yeah, I think... In a that, way that maybe DS9 and TNG weren't. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's true. I mean, certainly TNG never did this nearly as much as the original series did. And I, I mean, I even think that the original series doing it gets a little overplayed. I mean, certainly it did, yeah. but it wasn't a primary aim of the show or anything. But, you know, I think that, that Voyager being this type of show is a very interesting direction for it. Because, you know, you're right, like in a certain sense... Voyager is probably the closest in spirit or the closest in tone to the original series. Um, and it, it, it all works though. I think that there's a, there's an element here, which is very sort of, uh, you know, I don't, at, at a certain point, I don't really know what we're supposed to take away from this. I mean, certainly like, okay, the, <laughs> the alien species uh, has, has, gotten rid of violence because they've made violent thoughts illegal and so everyone is sort of like very controlled about their emotions at all times and their thoughts at all times and they're controlling them and not letting them get out into the atmosphere and the other part of it of course is that there's this idea even today that violent video games are going to cause yeah. uh, you know real world violence or whatever and you know study after study has shown that that is not true that you know the vast majority of people that watch violent movies or play violent video games or whatever um don't actually commit crimes and that crime is very much a function of you know the the economy um you know lead in paint lead in gasoline um all Uh kinds of things that you never would think are actually causing this and so 
you know, the the fact of the matter is, like, it it works for a race of telepaths, but it doesn't actually work because, of course, you're never going to get rid of this. Yeah, I mean, I I I'm just trying to look up when this. So this is this is about a year and a half from Columbine, though. This this kind of conversation is up in the world about to become something everybody is talking about. It's funny how this is almost a prescient episode in that way. Yeah, certainly, because I I think that you know. I don't know if it's prescient, though, because this certainly was something well, that people were talking yeah. about. And, you know, Columbine enhanced the conversation or, 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 or kind of ramped up that conversation. But it, it wasn't like this had not been talked about before. No, no. And that's 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 a fair point. This is not um, this is not Voyager doing a same sex marriage episode or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, you leaving that aside then, I mean, I do want to talk about uh, Tuvok in this episode and his relationship with the, the chief examiner because I find it very interesting. And I, I think that, um, I don't know, on a fundamental level, I think that Tuvok is kind of lonely. And, oh yeah, you know, this is something you, you, you've said before. Like, he's away from his family. He's away from his wife. Uh, you know, he has friends, I guess, on the ship. I mean, Janeway is his friend, even though the show forgets it from time to time. But when he finds a, a kindred spirit, someone that he can really connect with, it's, it's, it's very, very sad in a way because it just indicates how much Tuvok wants to connect with people but just can't allow him to do it for whatever reason. I have to say, this episode forgot that he, you know, I, I'm thinking about the episode where he had the woman on the one asteroid planet or whatever, Um and it was very much about, like, I had forgotten Tuvok had a wife in this episode, I will say. But, um, yeah, you know, I, 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 just as his violent thoughts are much more violent than anybody else's, his loneliness must be much more profound than that. His desire to get back to his family must be all-consuming. All yeah, and there's a certain degree to which I think that, um, I don't think this is necessarily true for how Star Trek treats Vulcans in general but I do think there's a strain of how a lot of our characters in this show treat Tuvok and maybe that's why he also had this relationship with Seven of Nine that unfortunately got erased because to a certain degree I think that like they don't necessarily think that they have to you know care and feed Tuvok's emotions or his emotional well-being because they don't think he has any and that's certainly yeah. not the case. We know that's not the case. And I think that that's what it really comes down to in this episode is that he reacts so strongly to Namira because, you know, she's being nice to him. And, and, and yes, of course, they, they um, intrigue each other mentally. He's intrigued by her intellect yeah. and her beliefs and, and her philosophy and the fact that she is a very capable woman and all of these kind of things. But he also, like, I think she makes him feel good. And that is something that he doesn't get very often. Yeah, she kind of gets him in a way that other people don't. I mean, people don't realize that Tuvok, you know, maybe needs a little more attention because he is never going to ask for it. And so it's very easy to forget about that with him. Um, I think I think the chief police lady uh, can sense that in him. And yeah, that that, you know, that that's. She's giving him the attention that he might want, kind of, but not ever ask for. Yeah, I think so. And and I also think it's 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 nice, for example, I think the the scene where Namira starts, you know, talking to, to Tuvok telepathically and asking him why he prefers to speak, 
you know, out loud. And he says, well, you know, uh, telepaths are rare in Starfleet. And so I, I, I by necess- necessity, have gotten used to, to talking out loud. And, and she says, okay, well, you know, whatever you want. Uh, but it's nice because it's a, it's a respect for, for Tuvok. And, and he is able to explain himself in a way that that doesn't seem lonely, but kind of is. And that w- that's what also makes it all the more sad that, you know, towards the middle of the episode, he and Namira become sort of, you know, rivals or adversaries in yeah. a way because, you know, Tuvok and Janeway are, are sitting very close to each other in that great scene um, where, I, you know, I don't, I don't talk a lot about the, the visual style of, of 90s Star Trek because I, I think it's, you know, mostly unremarkable, but every once in a while they, they do something interesting. And I think that scene is really nice because it, it it's this really tight shot on Tuvok and Janeway and they're the only two people and the camera doesn't move. And it makes it very clear that they're in this sort of like battle of wills yeah. and the rest of the world doesn't exist right now. You know, it's, it's a nice shot. <laughs> um, but it is the case that like they become rivals and then something bad happens and that, that, you know, poor guy um, gets, or the poor woman that, that Neelix likes gets stabbed to death by the old woman. And then suddenly everything just goes off the rails and it becomes like a fucking serial killer episode. But, <laughs> you know, before that it's, it's Namira and Tuvok at odds. And now they're, they're back together trying to solve this problem. But, you know, in an episode where we're talking a lot about Tuvok's loneliness, he does go off on his own and he does put himself into a situation where yeah. he is really, really just like off in space. And I don't mean that as a joke. Like he is really alone in this episode towards the end where he is putting himself in a very dangerous situation, a very precarious situation. And to the extent that he doesn't even have his, com- he takes his communicator off. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and he's not relying on anyone. And I don't know if that's, I don't know why he does that. I mean, it's almost like he's punishing himself, which is weird. Yeah, but there are there are things that Tuvok can only do and can't really explain to anyone else. I don't think that, you know, who would Tuvok be able to explain what he's about to do to, you know? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think that's a good a good question. I mean, I I don't I don't know though. I, do, do you think Namira wouldn't understand? I don't know. I mean, Namira seems to think that this, uh, I mean, maybe he's not giving her the credit that she deserves, but that said, Numera seems to believe that there is a very easy explanation for all of this because she's not ready to deal with the fact that this violence is part of her society, right? Like she, as far as she's concerned, a bunch of aliens, they may have been friendly, but they put a stray violent thought in this in the water, and once they excise it, everything will be back to normal. And Tuvok believes that, no, it runs deeper. This is something that is in society already, and that, you know, we didn't add this. It was already there. Right, and, right. You know, without the evidence, she may not be willing to accept that. She does understand and accept it at the end when Tuvok has demonstrated it. But before that, maybe she wasn't ready to go there. Yeah, I think that's true. And I I think that maybe, you know, Tuvok could have gotten her there, could have convinced her of this, but it it just would have taken too long. And, you know, I also think that like Tuvok is a much, he's a much more disciplined person than Gwil is, for example. Right. So I don't think that there's much, 
uh, uh, danger. Yeah. At least he doesn't think there's much danger for him because at the end of the episode, of course, he does this sort of like weaponized mind meld thing and essentially fixes the problem, but or gets the evidence he needs, and and everything is fine, and and Balana is free. But it is the case that Tuvok is a very very he's a very lonely guy and yeah he's just i don't know he's sad (laughs) poor tuvok i hope he comes home again i guess we would be remiss if we also did not briefly touch upon the fact that uh, apparently talaxians like having their whiskers pulled which maybe voyager's attempt at umok's humor I, i i i i wish we had not brought that up that's all i'll say look we are a comprehensive star trek podcast and we must talk about everything um, and I don't necessarily do this often, but every once in a while, I just like to, we'll call this the what, what the fuck corner or something. <laughs> um, like this would have been a really, really, really good episode if Suter had still been around. Oh, like, can you yeah. imagine? Or Cass even. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. If Suter had been the one to have the violent thought. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, but I, I, I still like the version of the series that still has Suter in it, where he's a main cast. Oh, well. All right, well, I think that we'll call it a day for this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts on these episodes, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, as I said earlier, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. It also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. If you are not listening to Tuning In, you should be. You can find it at tuninginshow.com. We are talking about the fourth season of The X-Files, and it is getting real good. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are in all those places. Show is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes, Apple Podcast review for Trekabout. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. All right, next week we'll be talking about the Star Trek Voyager episodes concerning Flight and Mortal Coil.